0: or starting a successful business or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Okay, so we have a very impromptu episode today with a much requested guest. And I figured I'd just bang it out while we are in Val d'Isere together. So Nish, you're back.
1: Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm so excited to be here. What a pleasure to finally meet the world renowned (laughs) Siva the Hider of the Dream Bigger podcast. You're so famous. You understand that?
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you.
1: I really I'm nervous. I'm nervous to be on the call today
0: on the call okay so as you can see we have one mic here this is how impromptu it is but we wanted to go over like array business stuff funny stories from early days takeaways basically things i'm asked a lot about on instagram and like you guys have requested that Nish comes on so yeah basically all things array
1: have people really requested or are you just making this up to make me feel better I'm I'm really really <laughs> oh I really hope. my I, God. I, yeah, yeah. Okay. I knew it.
0: So should we start with how we started the company? Yeah, let's
1: start off with that. Why don't we talk a little bit about where the idea came from, how long it actually took us to start? Because when I remember the really early days, obviously, you know, we can go back all the way to London where we're sitting at a hotel. And I was like, oh, my God, Sif, I just don't see the world of you being only an influencer, being good enough for you to live up to your potential. And I always said to you that there's so much more you can do than, you know, going to these hotels and taking photos of pretty places, because that's what we used to do. We used to go to these hotels and then I would be, you know, the professional photographer for you. And as much fun as that was, it wasn't the life that I envisioned for you to live and neither for either for us to live. So why don't you talk about where the idea came from?
0: So I was like pretty into wellness at this point, and I had this idea where, like, you know, we were essentially at this point like hyper consumers. Like, the amount of products that I would get sent to the like our apartment was like just insane. Like, it was just all kinds of skincare, like makeup, and you know, I realized that with supplements, nothing nice was coming, and I was kind of having to like problem solve everything that i needed. So like i was the one who was creating these like formulas for myself, which i mean we've talked about this on the po- on other podcasts before so i won't bore you with the story, but essentially the idea was that like clearly myself and everyone else on the planet had all of these like health struggles and there was a way to troubleshoot it with supplements, but we wanted to make sure that like people felt good using those products, you know? So like take the the complications and the confusion out of it, make sure it was like a really beautiful product that you were excited to use. The same thing with, same as skincare, right? Because like, why'd you develop a 10 step skincare routine? It's because you liked the packaging and like how it made you feel and like the whole experience. So that's kind of the idea behind it. And I remember sitting on the couch, in our living room one day and telling Nish, I was like, you know, I just have this like idea. Like, I I wonder if it would be like a good idea. And I remember you were like, Sif, we have to do this.
1: (laughs) Well, I remember saying that, but I said that it was a while into the process because we were thinking about this for a very long time. Like, The idea was marinating in our head for a while, but it wasn't until, you know, we had used a bunch of skincare products. We had looked at the parallel kind of Similarities between wellness and skincare, we said, Oh my God, I think there's really something here. We have to try it out. And okay, Siv, so let, let's talk about, you know, that that very early starting process. Because I think that once you get going, you get going. But for us to actually start to get going took us some time because there was a period of about six to eight months where we were obviously working on the product formulation. We were we had our own jobs that we were working on at the same time. We had to we had to make sure we had a separate source of income. So can can you talk about how? the very very first early days were when we had to take the first step towards working on this
0: so i think the first step was actually finding a doctor like that was number one and i remember actually talking to jord like having i think we were at like whole foods like getting lunch and this is before jord i heart nutrition i mean if you follow me on instagram you know her she's like one of my best friends but we were catching up at whole foods of all places we were just getting like lunch from like the the hot bar or whatever. And this is before we were like really good friends, but we were like still like friends. And I was telling her that, you know, like Nish and I were wanting to do something like this and we wanted a good doctor to help us formulate this thing because, you know, no matter how into like this area you, you are, like you still cannot be the one formulating it unless you have credentials. Anyway, so she connected us to Nat and I... Interviewed her, or, like, not interviewed, I met with her and I came back and she was the first person that I met with. And I came back to the house and I was like, Nish, I found our girl. And you were like, That's impossible. Yeah. She, he's like, This is the first person you've met with, Sif. Like, you're really getting ahead of yourself. I was like, No, I love her.
1: <laughs> and I was like, This is impossible. I'm like, How can you just meet someone and then they'd be the perfect fit for us and everything you want to know? But I think that was really exciting. And it was really exciting because there was one particular question that she asked and she said, Do you want to make things that are trendy? Or do you want to make things that are actually going to work and are going to be really, really effective? And that is when I knew that we were really getting to work with the right person. Because all we cared about was for it to work very, very well. Yeah. Like it was the only thing we cared about. Because when we were looking at, again, using our skincare products, we said, well, we only ever buy things that work really well. We only ever care about things that work really well. Also, just as integrity of our own, we wanted for it to work really well so I remember when we started working with her we started kind of creating the formulations together and do you remember when we went out for pizza
0: oh my god yeah we went to Taroni in Toronto and like we'd gone out for date night and we'd eaten so much food because we knew that we were going to come home and test v1 of bloat and I literally had to come home like holding my stomach because I was in so much pain and back then bloat was a powder And the version one of that product was a powder, okay? So I was like, okay, like, I guess we're going to test this thing. And we put it into some water. I drank it and Nish drank it. And literally in 10 minutes, I was like, Nish, my stomach doesn't hurt anymore. Like, I myself was shocked.
1: No, I couldn't believe it. Classically, as a dumb man, I did not know what bloating was, right? Like, you don't actually understand these symptoms until you start working in the industry a little bit. And so I started... I was like, wait, what is this? Like, why is this uncomfortableness gone? And then that's when I realized that this was actually one of the craziest products ever. And then the first time I was like, wait, this is fluke. You know, I just don't think, I just think that I feel this way, placebo or whatever. And then we did it again and again. I was like, oh my God, this really, really works. And then we started giving it to our friends, and they were like, oh my God, this is super amazing. But Here's what is really interesting about this process because I think a lot of times people ask the question, okay, so I'm starting this thing, I'm giving it it to all my friends. How do I know that what I'm working on is actually working? And how do I know that what I'm working on is actually a idea worth pursuing? Mm -hmm. And so what's really interesting is you would talk to all your girlfriends about this and they would be super excited about it, at least from a anecdotal perspective. I would talk to my guy friends about this and they would Look at me with a blank stare. And what was really interesting about that is instead of being like, wait, you know, this idea is not going to work, it was actually a really key learning, which is that, well, this is something that obviously women resonate with more. It's not even that men don't actually resonate with it, it's something that women resonate with more. And as a result of that, it's just interesting to see who, it's, a, it's such an anecdotal way of seeing who's going to be liking your products initially.
0: Yeah. And I think it made us realize as well, which is something that I kind of knew is that you can't be everything for everyone, you know? So, and I think that this is like a good takeaway for any, anyone who's like looking to start a brand is that you should niche down and like really know your avatar and like really understand how to speak to your customer and had we gone after both men and women and like not really been intentional about who our customer was, I think that it would have just been a message that wouldn't really land with anyone. So as a brand, like I think like going really niche is smart. And then also in that same breath, I'm very grateful that we launched with just two
1: products. In fact, I would have gone back and launched with just one. one.
0: one. Yeah, that would be our takeaway. Do you remember when we were talking about it earlier? We thought we were going to do five. Yeah that it was going to be five. Okay. Can you even fucking imagine like the nightmare of the storytelling that would have to be five products, but we did two because we felt like those two problems worked, you know, like common bloat, they work really well together. And we figured that the product education would be less. Also we'd put, put less money into inventory. There's like a lot of like good things when it comes to like starting a brand with just like fewer SKUs, and that's like a big, big, big learning.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's a really important learning, and I also think that what was what I, what I also learned through other processes is that the moment we started kind of bringing this out to market, we had obviously all of our close supporters kind of buy the product. Yeah. And I actually realized Sif, that I actually never want any of her friends to try our products. The reason is because. They've always said nothing but good things. But when you look at like the data, our friends are not the ones who are buying your products again and again and again. And so what's really interesting is when you launch something, you have this little spike of interest from your friends and your family and anybody who's really close to you. But the real important feedback will come from the random people yeah, who start absolutely. buying your product afterwards. And so it was not until about two or three months in to the company being out in the open, that we really started to learn about the things that we wanted to care about and wanted to hear about.
0: So most of December and January, so almost two months, was a full dry period for me. So by dry, I mean not drinking anything. So I really love doing periods of time in the year when I avoid alcohol altogether because I feel like I'm sharper. I'm, you know, in, the, in the, on the weekend specifically, I'm ready to go. I have so much more energy. You guys know, right? Like we may enjoy a little bit of wine or tequila or whatever it is every once in a while but the the body just feels so much better when you're avoiding drinking. So since I've been in the Alps, obviously I've been enjoying a little bit of wine, but I'm actually really excited to be back in LA again kind of going back to a little bit of a drier period. And what really works well for my social life. And I think everyone's social life is having really good options around non-alcoholic beverages. And this is where Monday's non-alcoholic craft spirits comes in. So they have Incredible spirits, including mezcal, gin and whiskey, which provide the look, feel and most importantly, taste of our favorite beverages. So we can enjoy things like our mezcal margarita or old fashioned while knowing that we are getting to our 8 a.m. workout or date with friends without feeling foggy in the morning. Monday has a special offer for you guys. Visit drinkmonday.co slash dream bigger for 15% off your order. That's drinkmonday.co slash dream bigger for 15% off your order. Trust me, you guys, your friends are really going to love you if you serve this at your next dinner party, or better yet, if you're going somewhere at some sort of a social situation, bring your own bottle and share it with everyone. Enjoy.
1: What does an American look like? If you tell the story
0: of America, whose story would it be? I'm Tracy Ellis Ross, and I want to share with you the America that I know. Inspired by the words of Langston Hughes, I Am America is a collection of untold stories that make up the complex and beautiful promise of our country. I'm America premieres on January 31st. Listen wherever you get your favorite Dear Media podcasts. This actually brings us to funny stories. I think something that we've like been good at is speaking to our customers and that's still like a through line into our company ethos today but I remember early days Nish would go on his motorcycle to deliver products to customers
1: well, and yeah, because I was so desperate to find out about what my customers thought so just to give you some background I came from a technology background. I was a technical product manager. And literally one of your jobs as a product manager, understand exactly what the customer is looking like. And when you're building it in tech, you can look at them and see the screen and kind of decipher it that way. But in this world we had to get creative. I'm like, how do I go look at what the customers are doing or see what they're about? And so literally me and SIF and or we would just get on my motorcycle and go and hand deliver the products in the early, early days, these people. And as a result of that, Sif, we were like, I don't know if you remember, but I was delivering things at any time of night, okay? Oh, my God, yeah.
0: (laughs) It was insane. Like, one time he went, it was pretty late. And this poor girl got, like, really scared. because. yeah,
1: I showed up at 10 p.m. OK, I thought I was being really eager, like, oh, you ordered at five o'clock. I'm showing up at 10. You know, I'm better than Amazon. OK, who Amazon? Who? Who is that? What is same day delivery? Amazon Prime Array Motorcycle, Nish's <laughs> Motorcycle Delivery. That's what I'm talking about. So I showed up on my motorcycle at 10 p.m. Knock on the door. She has one of those, you know, ring, whatever those things that you can see the camera. She's like, who is this? Why are you here? I'm like hey I'm here to like really enthusiastic she's like leave it at the door and never come back
0: (laughs) but okay to be fair though I would say like except that one poor girl (laughs) probably because of time of night everyone was so nice and the kind of data and information we got speaking to our customers I'll never forget when you went to deliver product to Lee oh my god and Lee was like one of our early customers. Shout out to Lee. And she's still a customer today. Like one of our top customers. Years later. Yeah. Like it's been forever. But Nish went to drop it off at her place. He got like, they, they spoke for one hour, you guys. Like he came back with the best friend. It was like no, bizarre. No, straight
1: up, We sat on her lawn yeah, yeah, yeah. and had a conversation.
0: And then this kept happening. And then I remember... Um, I was like, we were in, we were going out for lunch one day, and we bumped into her. And you're like Lee, and yeah. I'm like, oh my god, you are the Lee. And yeah, it was just we
1: in her again, again, like last summer. Or yeah, like
0: a couple, well, months, no, no, two months ago. ago. Yeah, we were back in Toronto, and like we just saw her at dinner. And so it's just really cool to have that direct line of communication with our customers. And like I don't know, you just learn so so much. And also. Back in the day, our customer service line was connected to your cell phone. So we would take calls from customers. I have been on the phone with a customer for one and a half hours, troubleshooting her health issues, referring her to doctors, like, I mean, like exchanging life stories. Like, it's, I mean, it's really, we've, we've had a lot of conversations. I think customers. it's
1: the way to do it. It's the only reason why we really understood who we we're talking to, what their problems were. It kind of helped us understand our product development cycle. It helped us understand the flaws in what we had. It helped us understand what people are looking for, how to speak to them. And more importantly, there's something so artisanal about that period of time in the business. Like that period of time, you will never get again. It's
0: it's the do things that don't scale.
1: Well, it's the do things that don't scale for sure. I mean, so essentially the idea behind that is in the early days of the business, that's the only time where you can do certain things that are not really scalable because big companies cannot do them like Jeff Bezos is not out there delivering on his motorcycle to every single customer because it's literally impossible but when you're really small you can do that and the the exciting thing about that is you can create like this unbelievable experience this experience that they're never going to get from another company or brand or whatever that might be and more importantly you learn the nitty-gritty of what every single person wants to wants to hear wants to believe what what you want to provide to them. And so you're able to curate this 10-star experience by doing things that nobody's able to do. And also, it is only possible to do when you're that small. Even today, we actually try to do things like that where I will go and deliver product product that live next to me. But it's just is just so much more possible, plausible, and exciting to do in that period of time. So it is really artisanal. And I always want to go back to that. In fact, whenever we're even thinking of a new idea or if a new realm of things to do, I think that we go back to that trait, which is how can we go and provide a 10 star experience? And how can, you know, Siphon or I personally do something that will allow us to give us the conviction that we need in order to blow this up later on? And so I think that the only way to be able to do that is go ahead and do things that are unimaginably possible to the regular human being.
0: The layman's term or like the marketing term that I like to use for this is like treat your customers like influencers. It's literally just that. Right. 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 Like influencers get this treatment all the time. Okay, like brands will come hand deliver. Like there's like all of this shit inside your package, handwritten note, like like you know, beautiful packaging. And that's the experience that we also wanted to bring to our customers as well. So I think this
1: is better than that. Sif. I think influencers are like such a small segment of the population that like get it good experience. We were really providing experience like that we, was 10x better yeah, than any influencers like getting. We,
0: we really wanted to make sure that our customers felt like they were the most important people in the world. And I mean, because I they are. a better example, Sif,
1: is one where like, think of our countries where we're from. India, Bangladesh, when we're coming to these places, the way the customer service is over there in those countries, it's so incredible. It is truly...
0: This is is your new favorite thing. Well, it
1: is true. (laughs) It's not my new favorite thing, is that this is where we grew up, okay? When you go there, even like when we go there every summer, it's incredible. Like the way that you get treated, just as in the restaurant or wherever you're going, it is beyond anything that anybody experienced. It's better than any influencer. I promise you, no influencers going and getting treated the way that you know, you're getting talked to at a restaurant, especially you, Okay, so <laughs> anyway, I, I think the the gist of it is do things that don't scale and and provide a 10 experience. That was really really fun.
0: Why do we work well together? Would you say?
1: So, one of my one of the things that I learned by through my readings and also by kind of working with other people is the coolest things happen when. Two different types of people, and especially different types of people, I mean, different skill sets, different mindsets, just people you would never think should be together or work together or would get along, actually end up getting along and build things in that way. Because then what, what happens is you bring disparity of thought, exactly, disparity of thought and completely disparate ways of, of doing anything in the world. Now, when those two things come together, that is when the magic really, really happens. And so for us, you know, when you look at you, you're just on a different realm of thinking that I am. Okay, I will never forget the number of times where you're doing things. And I'm like, oh my God, what are you even doing here? Like, what is this furry? Like, look at this hat. This hat is ridiculous. It makes no sense. I would have never bought this hat. I would have never talked to anybody with this hat. Yet, I am now married to someone with this type of hat. Okay, so, and that is, And this is it. This is where it is. Like This is exactly why it's so exciting to be with someone who would do something so crazy different, because I think that we bring such unique and different perspectives to the table.
0: Yeah, I think when working with a co-founder, something we've seen people make a mistake in is trying to work with someone who's exactly like them. So I think the danger here is that you end up, first of all, no one's going to agree on every single thing. Okay, like as co-founders no matter how similar you are, you're going to have times where you disagree with one another. And if you guys are working on the same thing, no one has a last say. Right. So I think that that's really problematic with Nish and I, because we're so different. Number one, the disparity of thought that we bring to the table allows us to always challenge the way that we're thinking. Okay, so this I mean, this came down to even yesterday, the conversation we were having around like a new product launch, for example, and like what he was focused on was like data, right? Because that's how his brain thinks. For me, my focus was like customer experience, like what makes sense when it comes to consumer behavior. So just the way that we think is like very different. And even when it comes to like final say decision making in our respective areas, because sometimes the other person brings such a different kind of Thought process to the table. Sometimes you change your mind, right? Like you think you're going to do something this way, but then because you come and tell me something, you challenge my way of thinking, then I end up in a different decision altogether.
1: I think I think that that's definitely true, and I think the way I think about this kind of is you know the hedgehog, hedgehog concept, mm-hmm. which we learned from the book Good, Good to, to great, great by Jim Collins. It's one of my favorite books to get started when it came up a business. And the hedgehog concept is that it's essentially the idea that a hedgehog, it's really cool as this tiny little animal because, you know, it can't really be eaten or can be attacked by a, a predator that's double its size or way more aggressive or whatever that might be because it's so well protected. And so you'll see those videos of like, you know, whatever animals coming up with the hedgehogs and they get spiked. I don't know the, what the right term is, but and then they go away because they can't seem to do it. And so what's really cool is that it has one thing. The hedgehog has one thing it's really good at and it's good at defending itself. And as a result of that, it survives. And so the idea here is that, well, what is the one thing that you are really good at? And so if you think in a very one one dimensional way, what happens is your way of thought, your hedgehog concept can become one thing. Now, now, if you have co-founders or people on the team who have disparate way of thinking, their their hedgehog in their mind suddenly becomes different. And what's really exciting about that is now you start building a company which has. Obviously one true goal, but the founders can think of different things in a very unique way where their hedgehog is unique to them and so what I like about us siF is that when I am thinking of okay what is the one thing that is I'm really excited about and the one thing that I must focus on when whenever it comes to whatever that that concept is completely different to yours and now we can really put all of our energy into that but now all of a sudden raise a company that is growing with two different hedgehogs to protect it and both of those are very well developed kind of hedgehogs you know what i mean
0: yeah i 100 percent know what you mean and like also i guess this covers the fact that the amount of ground you can cover when two people specialize in two different things is insane nish and i early days essentially we were able to together do every function in the business Mm -hmm. like literally every function was covered by us and right now, like, I mean, as we started hiring, it was basically like people who who we could still manage very easily. It's like, yes, they were better at us than in like specific things, but it was all concepts that we understood. So I feel like because like, for example, I think about it, if I had a creative co-founder, how would I know if someone is doing things like operations, inventory planning, um, ads, looking at data, really thinking about the finances, how would I know that that like if even if I hired someone that everything was being done the way that it was supposed to be done you know what I mean like right. because I have you as a co-founder who specializes in all of those things and your brain works in a completely different way than mine I just know that that part of the business is so well taken care of and I like never have to doubt you know what I mean right,
1: right. no I, I completely agree and I think that this is and what's really exciting actually is that it doesn't actually have to have to it doesn't have to be the way that me and Sif are. So, you know, I'm obviously a very mathematically driven person, whereas Sif is a very creatively driven person. But you can have someone who is whose Spike is something different. And Spike, I mean, like their set of unique skills are very different. You can have a mathematician and a designer. You can have a creative person and let's say someone who is good at product development. Like you actually don't necessarily need people of exact combination of hours, combination of Different types is what is important, not necessarily the one that we are in specifically.
0: A hundred percent. Can we talk about favorite resources? Because I always get asked for book recommendations and stuff. So I feel like we both have like a list of books that we really liked. So from a creative slash like, How to speak to your customer perspective. I would say one of my favorites was building a story brand by Donald Miller. Did I? Did you? You read it too, right? It was a recommendation from me to you. I read that months before starting Array, and I remember like calling Nish, like telling him, "Oh my god, like this is how we should be like, like phrasing things, and like, oh, like did you know that like we should be doing this versus this?" It was just like such an eye-opening book. So. I feel like that is one I know our combined favorite is Blitzscaling
1: by Reid Hoffman. Not your, I. The only reason you know about this book is because I've talked about it I ten different never, times.
0: I and, give full credit. Okay, oh, Nish introduced me to this, this, this book. Nish, in, I I've said this. Okay, I don't know why he's so protective, protective over. Protective
1: over this book. I'm just saying that you've not read the book.
0: Nish, what a bizarre thing to say when we've discussed this
1: I'm just book. Exposing you. Okay? Okay, okay, you have too much hype around you, and I need to make sure that you're humbled and. You've never read this book. You don't know what it's about. You have just copied the sentences I've said. You've read the uh, cold sparks, the spark notes. Spark notes, yeah. yeah and now you're just regurgitating it.
0: Totally. Like so Blitzscaling is Nish's favorite book. One that I have never read because Nish can be the only person who has Every ever read it.
1: The only person has ever read it. Okay, what else? Okay, so I love Blitzscaling. I, Amp It Up you liked. I love Amp It Up. Oh my God. I think it's Frank Slutman. He is an...
0: I'm reading it right now. I'll yeah. show you. I'll show you on my Audible Are since you, really? you don't fucking believe me. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you just read my favorite books and regurgitate them yourself and all of a sudden it's your favorite book. And anyway, so this book is amazing. He is honestly one of the best CEOs of our time. The, like What he's done with Slow Fake is absolutely incredible. The way he manages the team, the way he manages the P&L, the way he manages the vision of this thing, his, his ability to look into the future and make decisions. It is so incredibly powerful and I really, really enjoy that book because it's very actionable and it's very motivational as well. One of my favorite takeaways from that book is that you only want drivers in the companies and not passengers. And you want that throughout the period of the company, no matter how big it gets. And I think that that's one thing we're seeing in this world where we've had these really, really large technology companies who've done really well. And they've had massive kind of workforces which don't necessarily make that much sense. And it's because there's a bunch of passengers in these large companies. And as a result of this, you know, we're seeing layoffs. We're also seeing a lack of efficiency in those companies. And so, what's really exciting is you can do that in the early days and you can do that all the way through. But I really love Amp It Up.
0: One of my favorites is actually, it's not business specific, but it's psychology, which was so directly applicable to our business. And that was Contagious by Jonah Berger. I don't know if it's pronounced Berger or Burger. Anyway, I love this man's work. Okay, I've read all of his books now, but Essentially Contagious gives a lot of different case studies around things that have really taken off, right? And a lot of those concepts were directly applicable to how we did marketing or thought of customer relations. Like basically like everything on the brand side, a lot of those case studies were like directly applicable to array. So while it's not a business specific book for me personally, like, yes, I love business books, but I also really like to read memoirs or like psychology because a lot of that is directly applicable to brand. So this is a book that, I mean, you won't hear about it in like business circles, but I highly recommend everyone gives it a read. It was like really like one of those like eye-opening books where I remember reading it, taking notes and like telling Nish like, oh my God, like this club in London, like one of the things was a club or like a restaurant in London took off like this. Like, how can we, apply that to Array or like the concept of like first class tickets. Okay. Like how can we apply that concept to Array? And so it was just like transferable and just kind of helped me think creatively, which I really, really enjoyed.
1: I think books are obviously really good resources, but podcasts are really good resources as well. But I think that something that really helped us was also just real life experience. And so one of the things that I, I, we don't talk about as much, but I really think it's a reason for why we've had some level of success in the business is because when I used to work at multiple different companies, my very last company that I worked for, which is a financial technology company based out of India, they have offices in Japan as well, in Canada as well, is I was working directly with the CEO of this company. And this is a huge multi-billion dollar startup. They went public and whatnot. And I was able to be a part of their rapid growth phase where we were hiring hundreds of people. We we're expanding across multiple companies. we were building out new products from scratch and to see the success of those products. And so what's really cool is that when you're working a job and if you want to start something as well of your own, it is really awesome how much you can learn off of somebody else's dime. And so the idea that, you know, working for someone else is bad is actually a complete fallacy. I think that you have to optimize for working with the right people, working for the right boss. And also working for the right company in an extreme high growth phase, or a phase where they're going through a really hard time and turning things around, because the kind of experience that that kind of an like that kind of a role would bring to you is really something you cannot get yourself right now. When we go to things, go through something that is troubling, we have to figure it out ourselves. However, to have a leader,
0: the get help concept,
1: right? The idea that okay, when something is wrong and you don't know what to do you have to go get help from someone. Now, if you've been in a situation where you have leaders to look up to or you've seen someone kind of navigate a really troublesome scenario, you can kind of take inspiration and solve it yourself.
0: I think something that we've done well, like, yes, you you kind of like watched that company and like you had early days, like, you know, a CEO who you like looked up to. Mm -hmm. But for us, something that we've done that's like really helped us and that I highly, highly advise people to do the same is surrounding yourself with other people who are like very smart. So when people think of like your network, quote unquote, I don't really like the word networking, but like building your network, whatever people think like going up, right? Like, like, you know, taking someone for coffee, chat, whatever. Like, yes, it's good to have kind of those sorts of mentors. But also what's really useful is having friends who are doing like similar things, maybe a couple of steps ahead of you or like specializing in a different sort of things. So for example, for us, when we were going in to raise our first round, I got help from peers who were like a little bit ahead of me, who I connected with through the podcast or like just like that sort of modality. And like we were kind of on even ground because like we were doing similar things. They were a little bit ahead of me and they were like very helpful and like I'm I'm forever grateful to like those women who did kind of make those intros and like they gave us so much advice on fundraising because that's something that they'd done but we hadn't and so I felt like even that was like scenario where we were able to get help because books and podcasts are amazing but then sometimes you have like specific questions so it's nice to have people in like your in your world in your realm who you can go to and ask for help.
1: Yeah I, I completely agree and Sif can we talk about the investing world should we go into the the really crazy thing that happened to us when we were investing
0: so anyone who's fundraising like nish and i haven't actually talked about this ever in detail but when nish and i first fundraised we were like two essentially nobodies from toronto okay we didn't know anyone and so much of fundraising is like who you know getting intros because Cold emails don't always work. And so we had inbound requests from investors, but then also like that's not enough because you actually have to speak to like, I would say like a hundred people to get like 10. It's like a 10% rate. Would you say 10 to 20%? It's
1: actually usually lower than that.
0: Yeah. So we were lucky we had a 10% hit rate, whatever. So... We had inbound requests. We obviously took those calls. Our fundraising process was long because we didn't know anyone. So wait, how do we wanna how do we wanna talk about this? Well, so
1: let's talk about it. So I think that the key kind of things that is really important that we've learned in retrospect about fundraising is that it's, it's that first meeting that's the most important. So when you're fundraising, you actually want to be well prepared for fundraising before you even talk to the first person.
0: So I think building up your network and like having relationships with investors before you actually need the money is really, really important because well, then they get to know the business before you actually need something from them.
1: Right. So that's really important. The second thing is when you're actually now starting the process of it, you really like that that first show is super important. And what I mean by the first show is that deck that you're preparing and actually talking through your vision, you're talking through your data, you're talking through your metrics, Like. All those things, you there should be really perfect in the sense that you should know exactly what you're talking about. If you have to show the same data, but it changes every week you're showing it to them because of a mistake in the way you calculated them or the mistake the way you thought, that really reduces the confidence in what you're working through. The only reason they should change is because those things are getting better over time or you're, it's so exciting because you're growing so much that you're able to show more and more growth. And so I think that, you know, It's really rare, especially right now in this year, for people to invest in you just because you have a good idea or a good vision. Like right now, you need to actually show up being the best version of yourself with the best company with as much important metrics and data and growth to show. And that will kind of be like, okay, there's something here I would like to invest.
0: Also, yes, like be prepared with all like your data and all of that. However, I've realized that your pitch is really, really important. Like I remember we hadn't like when we got serious about fixing our pitch. Now we can do it in our sleep. We will like crush it. But our pitch was a little bit shaky. And I remember meeting with an investor, like a like a, a fund who we actually really wanted. Do you remember that when we were in New York?
1: Yeah, of course. So
0: we really wanted them to invest in the company. This was our first round. And we'd met initially with like one of the, the partners and like we got along well with him. And then he kind of then we met with his committee. And we came out of that conversation being like, we didn't feel good about it because we were just like a little bit like, I don't know, it just wasn't perfect. And I remember when they said no to us, Nish and I were just so upset like we were just sad because well, we really wanted them.
1: Well, we were not I, it wasn't more so about being upset. it was just that we were upset that
0: we fucked it up
1: we we messed up this pitch because the company wasn't bad. And so what was really interesting is literally 48 hours later, We redid the whole pitch. We were super serious about it. And 48 hours later, we pissed someone else and it was like an astounding yes, right? And so the funny thing is nothing had changed, obviously, in 48 hours regarding the the core kind of concept of the business. But all of a sudden, now there was a bidding war going on between the company. And it happened so fast because of the way we projected and said, you know, the story around the company, even though the company hadn't changed. And so that's why you're so right So pitching is super important.
0: Yeah, pitching is super important. Also, when it comes to raising money, I think that I think something Nish and I did really well was that we were very picky about who we brought onto our cap table. So when you're raising, it's actually quite tempting to just like be like, oh, like, let's get it over with and like bring on whoever wants to come on so that you're just done and dusted. Nish and I were really particular about bringing people on who were like smart money. So they all specialize, like everyone on our cap table brings something unique to the table. Some are like very good connectors. So like, you know, they're able to connect us to literally anyone we ever want to speak to. They're able to like some someone else may be good at pulling data. You know, like we want to know something about the market. They will give us that information like that. Others are good at like for example, like financial modeling or like really covering our blind spots that like maybe Nish and I hadn't thought of, but they have exposure to like higher level companies. So everyone brings something unique to the table. So I think that my takeaway here is don't just settle for dumb money. Okay, you want to make sure that your partners are like people you want to essentially like you're going to marry these people. Okay, They're going to be a part of your company forever.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I think that a different way to think about it as well is You not only want obviously smart money, but I mean specifically by this is when you're looking for a set of investors, you want network investors, people who are going to connect you with other founders, other companies, other investors. I think that's what a network investor is. You also want investors who are financial investors. What I mean by that is there's different investors in different realms. Some, Some of them have larger funds, some of them have smaller funds, and you want people who are going to back you through the lifetime of your company. I think that that is a really strong indication of the intention of the investor. And also, you really want that because they, obviously you're going to go through bad days and you want someone who's going to back you through the company.
0: And right. I would add also if it, like adding operators to the mix
1: as well is important. Right. So then you want financial investors and you also want operating investors. These are investors who might be really small, but it actually might be an operator, an ex-operator that is now running a fund who's able to actually go through sort of nitty gritties with you to be able to kind of work through very minute ideas that you might be running through your head. And so I think it's important to realize that investors come in different forms and shapes. And you want, honestly, as as big of a variety of those as possible. And you want to be able to think through this as you're going through your race, because the the wider this group is, the more set up you are for success.
0: Okay, I want to talk about red flags when it comes to investors, because we've learned from this. So...
1: Can I can I just tell the stories of, of how this happened? Essentially?
0: Well, there's two. Go ahead. One is remember the people who we had many conversations with and they're like, just kidding. We don't have money or like they. Oh my God. <laughs> well, they didn't oh, tell my- us this, but we were like, why the fuck is this process taking so long? And then I did some digging with like some of my friends and like, you know, my friends are like founders and like they know so many people. And so They did some like Intel work on my behalf. And we found out this fund who we'd been talking to for like three weeks weeks, and three weeks, by the way, is like it sounds like a short period of time. But you've had like 20 conversations with these people by this point. okay? like it's just fucking conversation after conversation. And they're like not closing the deal. And so we found out they had no money to deploy from their fund. Like their fund had like gone dry. And I was like, what the hell? They wasted our time.
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely one of them. And the other type of investors I really dislike are the people who are unable to make decisions on their own, okay? There's investors out there who will wait. They'll wait to see how your fund is going, who else is coming in, whether there's interest or not, and then they'll wait for the last minute to jump in.
0: And by the way, like, it's fine if it takes a little bit of time. Like, it's, it's okay, right? Like, people, but the thing is with our investors, they've been a yes from, like, very early days. Like, they never let us on
1: well, that's it. But also more importantly, when they say yes, and things are going wrong through the process, their yes never changes to a no, right? And that is because they have independently vetted and done their diligence on the company. They've independently vetted us as the founders, and they have conviction in the company, regardless of what everybody else thinks. And I think that that is something I respect so much about our investor group, is that is the way that they think. Now, we've talked to a multitude of kind of people in, in this industry. And they're, they're not like that.
0: I think one of the things that I will forever remember from our fundraise process is one of our investors who we really like we love him. He's like uh, one of our like core, core investors. I remember our first conversation with him and he was like, I won't play any games with you. I'm going to have two to three conversations with you and I'm, I'm going to let you know right away. Like I will say yes or no. And that'll be that. And do you remember that? I, I was like, he, this is such an honest man. Like, I like him so much and he's just honest. And the whole time, like through the whole process, he was just always straightforward with us. I'll never forget that.
1: Yeah, so I I think that obviously, look, when you create a investor universe and you bring people together and you kind of create hype around the product and more people want to get in, these are all really good things. But I really think it's important that a certain section, if not the majority of them, are in it, not because other people are in it, but because they want to be in it. And something, and obviously, there's a really interesting balance because, you know, the, when you start creating hype, I think everybody wants to be part of the round and whatnot. But I think with, with ours, really, the investors had their own unique kind of viewpoint and their own conviction. And there was, oh, my God, there was a very specific story, guys, where there was this one set of investor who we've been talking to for the longest. I'm talking like.
0: They had months. reached out to us. Prior to us, like even we didn't need money. Like this was like early. Like they they spoke to us like
1: eight months before we were even thinking about anything, right? And so we were speaking, speaking, and we had connected with them in person. We had given them every single piece of data, every single thing, and it was really interesting because over time, like they would say one thing and then they would back out a little bit. Then they would say one thing, they'd back. And so I'll I'll actually give specific examples here because I think it's so important that people understand what this is like. They would say that we are going to invest. You know, X amount of money in the company. Then a week later, they're like, well, you know, we, we spoke again and I think we want to cut that in half. And then we said, okay, well, sure, we need to know what it is at ballpark so we can gather the group around what it is that we want to raise. Then we come back again. They said, well, you know, obviously, if there's not enough space for us, then no worries. We, we don't have to invest. We, we don't really want to. Then We said, well, not really. I mean, we've already kind of had you committed to the round. So if you don't say yes right now, that wouldn't really make sense. And so anyway, so they're playing all these games with us for weeks on weeks on weeks. Then at the very end, you know, all the other ones who we really want on the team, they're all kind of committed. And because of the way it's going, obviously they've said yes from the start and they wanted to put in more money because the company was doing really well. And then all of a sudden this investor group comes in and is like, wait, we want to put in more than anybody else like out of the blue. And obviously we said, no, we said, this is crazy guys. Like you were not honest from the start. Your numbers have been changing all the way through. And when we asked them, this is the funniest thing. We said, okay, can you give us an an example of what kind of value you'll provide to the company? Do you remember the answer to What was the answer?
0: Well, we can, we can connect you to HR people.
1: We can, we're really good at writing job descriptions. That was their guys. This is the value add.
0: No, but we we were so like stupid back then. We were actually almost gonna take their money.
1: Uh, Thank God we did not. Thank God we did not. Okay. Anyway, so then I said no, very politely. Okay. I am. I'm. No.
0: What happened was that they were taking so long to make a decision that by that time we we were all we were having, of course, like multiple conversations, and there was another fund who we loved, and they were very again like decisive, and so when like we'd been going through this fundraising process for a long time. And this last fund that we connected with who we really liked and we'd done due diligence on, they were like, we are ready right away. And so the round was closed while these people were still out there making a decision on that same day that like our round unofficially closed, I had an accident. So if you followed along on the podcast or like my Instagram for like, like I, what, a year and a half now, I had this accident where I fell off a bird scooter and it sounds like nothing, but it was like, probably one of the scariest things that's happened ever I shattered my face I had brain injuries I broke my wrist it was really bad so that night I was essentially rushed to the hospital like in a fucking ambulance and I was in the hospital for two days after so I remember it was like when
1: it was not only for two it was in two days but then also said there was about two weeks of habilitation for you yeah yeah yeah,
0: I my like brain injuries are like, it's like not an easy thing. So you can imagine that as we're going through this, like first I had put it on, Nish had put it on Instagram. I would put it on Instagram when I was like conscious again. But when you're going through something like this, like everyone around you knows what's happening and your priority is like healing from like a very traumatic incident. Right? Of course,
1: Liz, health comes first, especially when you're going through something like this and We've just went through a very stressful time with the fundraise. Finally, those things have come to a close uno- like uh, unofficially, yet officially. And and th- we're going to such a traumatic event and this is happening. Of course, we're going to take a break to make sure that you're okay. Yeah. And so that that was a priority. Okay, well, fundraising takes t- t- away from the business. So finally, that round was closed. We are working back on the business and Sif's health is completely off. So then I'm taking on what Sif has to do. And that process took about about around two weeks and whatnot.
0: Yeah. So the this fund, like getting back to this crazy the 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 human resource people, the girl that we were speaking to on their team saw what had happened and she was like very kind about it. And so Nish sent a kind email when he was ready to to be like, Hey guys, like we actually aren't able to move forward with you guys it took you a long time to email, it was a call it was a call it was a call saying that like it took you guys a long time to make this decision and you know we had to like move on with our lives like but like let's stay in touch for our next fundraise we'll let you know very normal this is kind of how the and process goes
1: went completely well it was very kind very polite. very polite and obviously and, and by the way Siv, i don't know if you remember the details of this but that the person from the fund actually sent you a, a yeah. gift yeah. as a feel better note because they knew what we, you were going through mm-hmm. So in this period of time. And so obviously that was happening. And then after that, what happened is after this call, we said, hey, like, let's revisit this. The partner called me. The partner of this fault called me. and it was 50-year-old man? 50-year-old man, extremely indecisive man. And he calls me and he is completely upset <laughs> that we were not able to accept the funds. And he is so upset that he is just aggravated and angry. And guys, he tells me to fuck off. He like literally tells me to fuck off.
0: No, but it was crazy because he's like, it's not just like fuck off and like let me hang up the phone. He's like, fuck off! I can't believe this. Who do I talk to to fix this? And I'm like, Nish is the co-founder. What do you mean? Who do you talk to to fix this? And
1: and I was honestly, I actually felt bad for him because I'm like, I am so sorry that you're this upset. I'm so sorry that you couldn't make a decision because you had 12 months and eight months of prior notice and everybody else we talked to, to make a decision. I'm so sorry that your team is incapable of talking to us and making...
0: Okay, but Nish, like, he said it in a very nice way. Like, no matter how much this man would yell and, like, just, like, get aggravated and just, like, say bizarre things, Nish was like, I- I'm so sorry, like, in the most no, empathetic honestly, way. No, honestly, though, I
1: was actually really sorry because I-, I told him that, look, I'm I'm really sorry. This It ended up this way, I be- I would love for worry- you... You know us to work together in the future, and I've enjoyed all of our conversations. It's just that other, other people were faster than working than than you were working towards this thing, and we had to close it up sooner than late. And also, you know exactly what we went through. And then what really got to me is he knew about what you're going through, and he specifically told me to fuck off around the timeline of the last that that period of two weeks. He said, "How dare you not message me earlier and tell me about this to me directly when?" First of all, he never cared to pick up the phone and talk to me throughout the entire process. It was always his associate was speaking to me. And second of all, they sent you a card and then he behaves like, like this.
0: How, how can you possibly think that you take precedence over someone's wife who almost had a near-death experience? Like, what the heck? Like... I mean, it was just the craziest thing. So, in retrospect, like, what was the red flag? Would you say that like we should have caught on earlier? I think the indecisiveness, right?
1: Yeah, I think indecisiveness is a big one. I think that like, I don't mind indecisiveness from early in the early stages because that's just an indirect way of saying no, and so that is actually completely fine. It's indecisiveness over long periods mm-hmm. of time is what I really dislike. I think that is just a indication of poor decision making and poor conviction and a poor team. That, that's what I think, and so that is a big red flag and the second flag is the inability to be polite and extremely No, but
0: no one shows that like right till the end, right? So like it, like no, but of even course at the
1: end, Seth, I think that you know truly there's a lot of people that will which which we actually have seen where it didn't work out and it worked out it didn't work out in a very professional way. So this was unprofessional. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you're unprofessional on top of those things, that is also such a red flag. I think there's there's no space for unprofessionalism.
0: Yeah, I agree. And then also understanding someone's value add and like never settling for someone who's like just I don't know, like giving you some bullshit value at like writing job descriptions. Like what the fuck? Like you don't need someone to write job descriptions. You can write that yourself, you know. So I feel like that is probably like the red flags and like how you should properly do your own vetting when it comes to picking investors. Okay, we're at 52 minutes. And so this is long. And so we ca- we can't get through everything we want to talk about. I feel like we need a part two, though, at some point.
1: Okay, we, we're done now? Yeah. We're but we done. had so many good things to talk about. I
0: know, I know. Yes. Oh, you, you liked it. You had fun this time, It was huh? a good
1: one. It was a good one. Yeah, it was a fun one.
0: <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, this was a fun episode. And we'll do a part two. But I hope you guys found value in this one. I feel like, you know, we've talked about a lot of things that we haven't ever spoken about in any other settings. So this was this was good.
1: It was amazing. Thank you so much for having me on, Syph
0: i will come on again. I feel so anytime. famous.
1: <laughs> wow. Amazing.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at sifhider, And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people. Learn and unlearn and have a lot of fun. See you next week.